Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Miriam Simmel-Wafish, and today we're studying Masechet Sukkah, Daf Lamed Tet, page 39. A major theme engaged in by the discussion on this Daf is what assumptions we can or should make about the religious practice of others and how these assumptions affect our engagement in business transactions with them. These questions are raised in a discussion of purchasing a lulav and a trug during the Shemitah, sabbatical year. The Mishnah states, One who wishes to purchase a lulav during the sabbatical year is given an etrog as a gift, since one is not permitted to purchase an etrog during the sabbatical year. Before we can understand what is driving this Mishnah and the Talmudic discussion that follows, we must explore some central facts regarding the laws of Shemitah. Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy all contain versions of the commandment to let the land of Israel lie fallow in the seventh year. Leviticus 25 states, When you come to the land that I have given you, the land must be given a rest period, a sabbatical, to God. For six years, you may plant your fields, prune your vineyards, and harvest your crops. But the seventh year is a Sabbath of Sabbaths for the land. It is God's Sabbath, during which you may not plant your fields nor prune your vineyards. Do not harvest crops that grow on their own, and do not gather the grapes on your unpruned vines, since it is a year of rest for the land. It is clear from the verses that planting and harvesting crops in the land of Israel normally is prohibited during the sabbatical year. However, verse 6 complicates matters. What grows on the land of its own accord is to be lachem leochla, for you, for eating. Therefore, while you may not plant or harvest, you may consume any food produced by the land on its own. This permission has the potential to undermine the very underpinnings of the laws of Shemitah. How do we ensure that it doesn't come to abuse? How do we know whether the food someone is eating is food that has grown of its own accord, or food that grew with human intervention? The rabbis respond to this concern by placing strict regulations on what food may be eaten and when. First, only fruit of the tree may be consumed, since fruit trees do not require replanting each year. Vegetables and grain that require replanting may not be consumed or sold. So this fruit can be eaten, but only bikdushat shvi'it, in sabbatical holiness. What this means is that very specific rules govern when and how these fruits may be eaten. Most importantly, Fruit may remain in your home only until its counterpart on the tree would rot. 
Therefore, each species has a specific time of year until which one is permitted to eat it. Farmers may sell their sabbatical produce to others, but the money that they earn is governed by the same regulations as the food which they sold to procure it. Let's use apples as an example. Anyone who's tried to go apple picking after Columbus Day knows that apple picking season is pretty much over by the next weekend. So, if you have apples that you've picked in Israel during the Shemitah year, eating these apples Biktushat Shvi'it means eating them by Columbus Day or whatever the Israeli equivalent of that would be. Furthermore, if you sell some apples because you know you can't finish your bushels by Columbus Day, you must buy other food with that money and use up all the money and food you purchase with it by Columbus Day. If you're nervous you won't be able to, the Rambam suggests that you give away your food and money to others in three meal portions so that together you can all finish it by the appropriate time. Any apples, apple money, or food purchased with apple money left over after Columbus Day has to be thrown away. All of these rules and regulations, however, apply only to edible produce. Anything inedible, not used for human nor animal food, is actually not subject to the laws of Shemitah at all. It may be bought and sold freely and used in whatever manner and by whatever time one desires. This brings us to the four species the Arba'a Minim waved on Sukkot. These species include a palm branch, Lulav, willow and myrtle leaves, hadassim and aravut, and an etrog, a citrus fruit. Based on our early discussion, it would seem that the first three species, the inedible species of lulav, hadass, and aravut, may be bought and sold freely during the sabbatical year since they are not food. However, the etrog is a fruit which grows on a fruit tree, and so all of the restrictions placed on its use would apply. We now understand this Mishnah better. One who wishes to purchase a lulav during the sabbatical year is given an etrug as a gift since one is not permitted to purchase an etrug during the sabbatical year. The Talmud acknowledges, however, that not all sellers will be so happy with the demand to throw in a free etrog with the purchase of a lulav. If she doesn't want to give it to her as a present, what is the halachic ruling? Ravuna answers, she absorbs the price of the etrog within the price of the lulav. Ravuna suggests, that sellers simply must charge more for the other three species to compensate for the gift of the etrog. The Gemara then questions the premise of the Mishnah, the question that probably many of you are asking. Wait, but why can't the buyer explicitly give the seller money for the etrog? After all, as we have noted, buying and selling Shemitah produce is permitted. All we need to do is make sure that the etrog money is used before etrog season is over. Answer. Because we may not hand over money for the purpose of shvita fruit 
to an Amha'aretz. In rabbinic parlance, an Amha'aretz is someone who cannot be trusted to keep Jewish law punctiliously, either because she or he doesn't know the details, or because she or he does not feel bound by the rabbinic legal system. The Gemara suggests, therefore, that the Mishnah is responding to a problem that might arise when buying Shemitah produce. While fruit may be purchased during the sabbatical year, this permission is only for a seller who will use the money according to the parameters we spoke about earlier. So what if you're not sure what the seller is intending to do with the money used to purchase the etrog? Our Mishnah claims it is the buyer's responsibility to ensure that the laws of Shemitah are upheld and must demand that the etrog be given to us as a gift, even if that means paying more for the lulav. Underlying premise here is that we're not permitted to be misaye of re avera. We can't aid and abet the commission of sin. The Gemara reports a brighta that supports this assertion. Ditanya, ein mosrin dme perot shvi'in la'am ha'aretz, yotermi mazon chalarsu dot. It is forbidden to give more than three meals worth of money for Shemitah fruit to an Am Ha'aretz. The Yimasar Yomar, Haremaot Elu, Yiyumachulalin, Alpirot Sheyeshli Batoch Beti, Uvavachlan Bitushat Shvit. If you do hand over more money than this amount, you should say, Behold, these coins will be made unholy, lose their Ktushat Shvit, through fruit that I have in my home. Then, you come home and eat the fruit that you have in your home, Pikdushat Shvi'it, in sabbatical holiness. So what this Brighta is saying is that if I buy Shemitah fruit from an Amha Aretz, I must set aside an equivalent amount of stored produce to be governed by the laws of Shemitah. This means that if I purchase oranges, but I have apples stored in my cellar from the previous year, I must now set aside an equivalent amount of apples to be eaten before orange season is over. The Brighta then continues to state a further restriction. About what is this permission given? What may I purchase from an Amha'aretz for the value of three meals worth of money? When I am purchasing from produce that is Mufkar, produce that the Amha'aretz has collected from a field designated as available to anyone in accordance with Shemitah law. However, however, if I am purchasing from a guarded field with restricted access, I may not even procure a half an isar an extremely small amount of food. Technically, this brighta is brought in support of the assertion of the Gemara that places limits on the purchase of Shemitah produce from an Amha Aretz. One may not simply give the etrog seller money for the etrog because we're concerned about whether or not the seller will use our money to uphold the Shemitah system. This sugya, Talmudic discussion, may raise some questions for us. When we live in communities with a plurality of religious observances, to what extent do we need to ensure that our personal standards are adopted by others in the community? 
In what ways do we as consumers have the responsibility for how our money is used once it has left our hands? And even if I don't have this responsibility, how much do I need to ensure that I am not contributing to practices that I deem unjust or wrong? Lamar's answer to these questions is nuanced. The Talmud could have drawn a line in the sand, stating that one may simply not engage in business transactions with farmers who may not uphold the laws of Shemitah. Instead, it places limits on these transactions, as long as I'm not sure whether or not the seller upholds the laws of Shemitah. I need only enable the seller to keep Shemitah the way I think it should be kept, knowing that after I do this, what the seller does with my money is out of my control. I therefore may give the seller only the amount of food or money for getting food for one day. At least in my mind, the seller has ample time to finish the food before etrog season is over. However, if the seller I am buying from is explicit in a disregard for Shemitah and its underlying principles, in this case, I may not purchase the food. Purchasing food from a guarded field contradicts the ethos of Shemitah that attempts to provide equal access of food to all. As we've seen, therefore, through a discussion on the laws of Shemitah, the Talmud deals with broader questions of how we as consumers reflect our values through our purchases. While we ourselves may not observe the laws of Shemitah, they are, after all, most relevant to those living in Israel. These questions are alive and present in our own lives. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.